you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. the minor prophets in the Sunday school class I teach, and uh, I'm diving, them, diving into them in ways I haven't in years, and uh, I'm finding this deeply soul-stirring question uh, arising all throughout these texts. When do people lose sight of God? When does uh, God cease to be the light in our lives, and uh, when do we turn to other things? This is the critique of the prophets as a whole that uh, the people of Israel have forsaken their uh, trust and love of Yahweh and they are worshiping other gods and in turn they are trampling on each other. It has captivated me this week and humbled me to think about the the number of times in scripture where I would have been those people, uh, the people who got it wrong, the people who missed God in their midst, the people who said, no, we can't do this. been struck because it's been part of my life at times where I look around and go, where is God? The the most profound season in my life where I I never stopped believing, but I began wondering, where are you, was right after I graduated from high school. We had all planned uh, to go to the same college together, and everybody got in but me. Uh, So I went to my second choice school and uh, found that it was not the school for me. Uh, I was not designed to be in a psychology class with 900 people. This was just not my wiring. So I drop out of college and I move home and I take a kind of uh, drudgery job after drudgery job. 9-11 happens. Uh, Things just seem dark all the time. I'd had some conflict in my home church, so I had stopped going to church and and had ignored my father's, hey, well, if you don't go to Jarvis, at least find somewhere else. And for about a two, three-year period there, I didn't grace the doors of a church, and I'd have told you, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I wasn't sure that he actually uh, meant what he said. I wasn't sure he actually made a difference in my life or would show up. It took uh, years and a, uh, a profoundly dedicated mentor uh, to invite me back and to see the beauty of the church and to see how God works. In, in that moment of chaos in my life, I couldn't uh, trust in God. And so my response to chaos was to uh, kind of put him as a thing out there and figure out what I had to do to lift myself up and just stay miserable. When mom died, uh, it was a dramatically different experience of chaos in my life. I knew Uh, without a shadow of doubt that God was there in the midst, even as I didn't have words that I could utter. Extemporaneous prayer was not something I could do. Okay, Chad, would you pray for us? No, I could read a prayer and absolutely mean it. I could uh, participate in the liturgies of the church and and declare every bit of it, and I could could name that the Spirit of Christ was in me and that the, uh, the Spirit was providing me this peace he had promised. And there was... Nothing I feel like that I did dramatically different in that moment uh, than, you know, the early 2000s. In different times of chaos, I've experienced God different ways. 
which assures me that I could absolutely have been Israel or I could be the early stories of the church. When we look at uh, the, the prophetic text, we're, we're in the book of Isaiah and we're looking at a church who is, or a, a people, not a church yet, a people uh, who are wrestling with the chaos of their lives. Things have fallen apart for Israel. All the promises that they were going to be a mighty nation, a unified force for God's blessing in the world, are falling apart. Uh, not long after uh, Solomon comes on the scene, uh, things begin to spiral from the good days of David. The kingdom has divided, and there is conflict abounding. The northern kingdom of Israel wants to uh, ransack the southern kingdom of Judah. They're all making treaties with their friends. Well, they're not friends. They're like frenemies, right? Like, well, we're going to partner up with Syria, and we're going to partner up with Egypt, and we're just going to have at it. Oh, we also need some rain, so let's pray to this God. We also need some babies, so let's put up astral poles. Uh, we need these things. Maybe we don't want to die, so maybe Marduk would be a good one to, to invite into our pantheon of, of God choices, too. They are, uh, they are in chaos. And, and Isaiah uh, is probably our longest arc of the chaos of Israel. Isaiah covers from uh, pretty quickly after the kingdom divides all the way up through what God promises will come to be uh, after the time of the southern kingdom's exile. At the beginning of the book, he does this multi-layered retelling of what is happening and what will happen. And, and Isaiah gets his call, he comes on the scene, and then he begins to tell them, this northern kingdom is going to fall immediately. Israel, as we know it, will uh, go into exile, but you southerners will be okay for a little while. Uh, but eventually, you're going to go into exile as well. Yay! If you would turn to God... If you would repent, if you would worship him, if you would care for one another, this doesn't have to be. When we read the text, it feels like it should be real obvious, right? If there's a prophet shouting, uh, trust this God and things won't happen, that you should just trust this God and things won't happen. But this doesn't happen to Israel. And uh, before I get my head too, too big, it very easily could be, be me. That nation's doing pretty well, and they've they got Asher poles everywhere. That nation's doing great, and Marduk is leading them into battle. And Isaiah says, turn back to Yahweh. And it's clear that they don't. The story continues on just as he's promised that, that ultimately the, the northern kingdom will pretty quickly go into exile. They never have a good king. The southern kingdom will have uh, only four good kings in their whole storyline. They will eventually go into exile in Babylon. And seemingly the promises of God have shifted. No longer are they a nation. No longer are they a people. No longer are they a blessing to the world. No longer are they all these things that Moses and Abraham promised them God said what God would do. And by the time you're hanging out in exile in Assyria or hanging out in exile in Babylon, it seems reasonable to think that God is not showing up in your chaos. The prophets bring these moments of hope to a people who are in chaos, and they don't always capture what God is doing there. Isaiah 9, the text that we read today, situates us right in the middle of this promise that, that even though things are going to be bad, even though there is this chaos, God has not forgotten you, and God is a God who brings, darkness, brings light into darkness. He calls us back to these stories that Israel should know. Uh, when they're in Egypt and they cry out to God, God hears them, and you are my children. 
But then he also calls them to this, this imagery of the wilderness where they go and they cry out to God, why didn't you just leave us over there? Israel, a light, a light is going to break forth. And this is the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. The lectionary only gives us part of it, uh, but we're going to read the whole thing because this whole thing should sound familiar. Nonetheless, those who were in distress won't be exhausted. At an earlier time, God cursed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but later he glorified the way of the sea, the far side of the Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch-dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nations great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as those who uh, divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you shattered the yoke you, that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Because every boot of the thundering warriors and every garment will be rolled in blood will be burned, fuel for the fire. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. An authority shall be upon his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. This text is the third reading of a service of lessons and carols traditionally. It's uh, the text that comes after we have situated ourselves as created in God's image and fallen sinners. The third text brings us through this gap from the story of Israel to the story of the church. This, this promise that God made to Israel that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. People are looking for this light breaking forth from this moment forward. They are looking for someone who will be the one who can break the rod of the pressers, the one who can take his yoke upon, or their yoke upon his shoulders, the one who can deliver them. This is what they wait for, and the New Testament authors say, it is Jesus. New Testament authors say, he, he is God being faithful. He is the one bringing light in the midst of darkness. It's a long wait uh, from Isaiah 9 uh, to Matthew 4. There is a northern exile, a southern exile, an intertestamental period. There is the rise of the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and the Greeks and the Romans. There is all sorts of waiting in your chaos for the promises of God to come, and then you have to see it. There is not a marquee sign that says, Jesus is the one Isaiah was talking about. They say that, John says this, and they could crowd up and miss it. There's no... Uh, you know, party symbol that he can put on that says, look, I am the Messiah that's, that's going to come and do these things. I am wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. I am these things in a way that breaks through everybody's chaos. And I could be those people too who could miss in the very person of Jesus that he is that light. Before I get uh, haughty and think, man, those people can't believe they miss Jesus, can't believe I absolutely could have missed Jesus. It has to be very simple in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus speaks in stories they know and gives them 
uh, a message uh, that is uh, a new offer of light and life that is not something easy. He doesn't say, I'm going to take all the chaos away from your life. Instead, he promises that the Spirit will eventually be on us in the midst of our chaos. I love it, uh, how the lectionary paired the reading today of the story of 1 Corinthians, uh, where they're arguing. Some say that they are from the camp of Apollo. Some say they're from Cephas' camp, which is Peter. Some say they're from Paul's camp, and others just say, well, I'm from Jesus. And Paul says, uh, friends, this is chaos that is dividing the church. Friends, forget this and remember the gospel. Often in the chaos of our lives, we make things really complicated. Often in the chaos of our lives, we miss what is right in front of us. I really want a but just statement right now. Um, I'd love to have figured it out where I could tell you this is the 10 steps to never missing God in your chaos. I don't have them. But I do know a few things. The Spirit, uh, Christ promised us, would, uh, would testify and offer us peace in the midst of chaos. And uh, Christ and uh, Paul and Peter and the author of Hebrews and James and John told us that we can come together and that we can bear each other up in the midst of our chaos. That uh, when you can't believe, we can believe for you. And when you can't lift yourself up, we can come bear your arms. A light has broke forth in the midst of the darkness. And we know that it is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, whose very spirit raised him from the dead and testifies us today of his love and of his presence even when we can't feel it or see it. I wrote it uh, Friday in the email, and it has stuck with me, and at least one person emailed me uh, that they, they resonated with these words. God, give me eyes to see you in the midst of the chaos of life. Would that be our prayer? But then what would he add? And Lord, uh, would you surround me with people who help me see you in the midst of the chaos of life? It's one of the gifts of the church to each other and to the world. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. God, give us eyes to see you in the midst of our chaos and people to see you when we can't. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, uh, there's not a person in here whose story doesn't have chaos in it at one point or another. Every one of us have had uh, moments where things feel like they're falling apart. Every one of us knows what it is to, uh, to see you or to not see you uh, in those times of struggle. Lord, would you first open our eyes to the power of your spirit to see you? And then would you help us be uh, seeing eyes for one another? Lord, give us a heart. Uh, to sustain and uplift those around us, to, to be your body, uh, to be part of, uh, of your church, to keep uh, the main thing the main thing. When we, uh, when we face chaos and when we face uh, the day afraid, may we draw near to one another 
and draw near to you. May we bear one another up uh, until the day when we are uh, fully in your presence and your light shines so bright there is nowhere for darkness to hide. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.